Welcome to In Plain Sight, a cybercrime magazine podcast series brought to you by Conceal. Conceal is the creator of Conceal Browse, a lightweight browser extension that converts any web browser into a secure, zero-trust browser, providing protection against ransomware and credential theft attacks that bypass other security controls. To learn more, visit conceal.io. I'm your host, Hilary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. Here with me today is Brian Stone, Chief Revenue Officer at Conceal, and Anthony Johnson, Founder and Managing Partner at Delve Risk. Welcome, Brian and Anthony. So great to have you both on In Plain Sight. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Brian, before we get into today's conversation, which will be about the use of imposter domains and phishing attack campaigns, do you want to tell us a little bit about why Anthony is the perfect guest to join us for this episode of In Plain Sight? Yeah, sure. Just Anthony's background in building security programs at some of the largest financial institutions in the country has just, you know, given him a perspective that is unique and he's defended against a wide range of attacks. And so he's seen a lot and those organizations are mature. So they've had budgets to, you know, sort of implement great technologies and the combination of seeing the threat landscape, but also being able to build a proper program around that gives him a really great perspective on this as well as a wide range of topics. Excellent. And so then, Anthony, want to quickly tell us about yourself? I think Brian kind of alluded to some of your background as well, but would love to hear you share more about that. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. So I've been in cyber for my entire career, so 20 plus years. And I started off as a really hands-on technician practitioner, doing a lot of packet analysis type of red team stuff, consulting, and then became the CISO for GE Treasury, Fannie Mae, JP Morgan, the corporate investment bank there. I've sat on a number of boards, mostly in the audit risk committee. And I coach and advise a number of CISOs, boards, et cetera. I sit on a few boards myself today. I think what's also really interesting is that the company that I run, that I built, we do stuff with open source. We look at open source and the proliferation of tools. And so this topic is really interesting because of where the market and industry is and, and how attackers, they don't have to wait for you know a GA release of an official product. They can kind of really incubate and test things out that are out there. And it's just kind of a wild, wild market. Excellent. And so, Anthony, as I mentioned earlier, our topic for today is the use of imposter domains and phishing attack campaigns. So with your background, can you take us through what imposter domains are and how they can be used to fish the unsuspecting public? Sure. So imposter domains are really interesting. They play on actually an aspect of psyche and trust that are conveyed by a more general brand. You might think about it as going to make it up, you know, like walmart.com, but maybe one of the characters is a little bit different. There are a, a really a, an endless number of variations that companies kind of have to deal with where their customers, constituents, even partners who don't actually pay attention to the specifics in an email might not notice that, hey, that's not the actual site that it's coming from or the company in and of itself or, you know, users or somebody going to a website. They think they're going to Amazon.com and it's kind of Amazon with a zero somewhere in there or um, .com or .co and it just really looks like something that is official, but it is an imposter. It's a fake brand and it's just kind of, you know, taking on that sense. Does that make sense? That makes sense to me. And so... Brian, can you give us some examples of 
recent phishing attacks that utilized imposter domains. And I think that this will help kind of contextualize what Anthony just laid out for us as well. Yeah, there were reports, one in particular, right before the holiday shopping season, I think the report came out on December 19th, where Chinese hackers registered over 42,000 fake domains as part of a campaign spoofing, as Anthony said, well-known brands, brands like McDonald's, Nor Spices, Coca-Cola, Unilever brands, which has a number of brands under them, things that users trust, that they've built up trust with over years. And so they spoofed, like he said, the domains were spoofed, and then they made the web page itself look very similar to what the user would expect and invited them to visit those sites through different messaging platforms, like WhatsApp was a primary one, and asked them to come in, fill out a quick survey to then collect some rewards, and then go visit the shopping site to get a special deal. And then even went so far as to say, you know, forward this to 20 of your friends and you'll get an additional reward. And so it's, it's almost incredible the level of detail that they went to to kind of pull this off. And it was a global campaign, but very effective, although the techniques are fundamental and are not necessarily new. It's a scam. It's just spoofing what we all have come to trust. What's really interesting about this attack is, you're right, it's not like a super crazy thing in so much as that we've had imposter stuff. You, you'd have, you know, go back to Roman time, the people putting on uniforms and acting like they're there. Someone shows up as a fake governor. We actually see a lot of these types of attacks, not just on, the, on broad websites, but also in social constructs of where malicious people will impersonate a friend with a fake new Facebook account asking people for money because they're stranded. And so imposter domains are hard because they, they rely on that trusted brand, but they're also hard when they rely on the level of virality that happens. And I don't mean viruses. I mean, you know, when a new product, application, service, something goes viral, people don't have that established trust. They know what Coca-Cola looks like, but they might not know what, you know, Cola X website actually looks like. And so the imposter component hits both sides of the spectrum very well-established brands, and it could be very small, more niche ones that people think they're going to be an early adopter on. And you saw that very, very proliferating with Bitcoin and fake wallets and everything as well. That's a great point. And Anthony, can you share with us more about how social media has changed and or evolved these types of attacks? Yeah, I think that's kind of what I was trying to reference a little bit. Social media has just put everything on a thousand times more, Right. Where before, if somebody wanted to impersonate you when we were kids, some of us at least, you know, I might call the school and, and impersonate my mom and say, or dad and say, hey, Anthony's sick. He can't go to school today, right? Whereas with social media, kids don't even need to do that. They might log on to my mom's account or dad's account or send a fake email from a fake email address. So social media has enabled these attacks to kind of have some new channels, but they're fundamentally the same. They can also be used at scale, where to impersonate or trick somebody before, you would have to actually have to put some work into it, right? Now I can use the same message, same site, thousands of times, you know, millions of times against, you know, a population set that is not as well educated. And it's crazy because if you have an attack, a social media type of attack that's relying on imposter syndrome, right, or imposter domains, and you only get 1%. Let's just say you got one-tenth of 1%, right? But you did that to, I'm going to do the math, 
10 million people, you still got 100,000 people. And those 100,000 people, if you get $10 from each, that's a million dollars. And social media, and I think the internet, has just made the cost of these attacks so inexpensive. Because to kind of execute that type of attack, it's not going to cost me a million dollars. I'll just add to that, too, that I think it's expanding the avenues. We're seeing weaponization of LinkedIn, where I'll connect with somebody. They'll agree to, to, to connect with me. They think they know me if I'm a threat actor. And then once that connection's made, I can start messaging to them through the messaging platform. So many sites have their own sort of version of that, where there's a messaging element to that. And it's just a new avenue to send links. Again, the links themselves, it's an old tactic, but the delivery mechanism, how it's reaching the user, whether it's through WhatsApp, through LinkedIn messaging, through any other messaging platform, is that's kind of the element where they're evolving to leverage those new delivery mechanisms. Exactly. And the conveyance of trust, right? Maybe you're in a CRO networking group and somebody else has kind of gotten in there and they sit there for a while and then, you know, they make some posts and they share something out there. And everyone's like, oh, they're part of the group. They must be a vetted person. I can go ahead and click this or I trust this. And so social media has kind of shifted the conveyance of trust to various groups. We're now inherently or explicitly trusting people that we've never really met in real life. And so, Anthony, regarding the Chinese attack that Brian mentioned earlier, and I think you might have touched upon this a little bit, but how are these hackers able to so easily register 42,000 imposter domain names so, I should say, relatively quickly? Sure. I think, and this is one of my favorite things to to always bring up whenever I, I kind, of, kind of chat, the internet was built to work. It wasn't built to be safe, right? And it's kind of like when they build the first bicycle, they're like, okay, we're going to make this thing work, but like it might we'll see how this goes, right? It's not, not necessarily a safe thing, perhaps, right? And when the internet was set up, the way that domains are registered, the way that we create the accessibility of things, we, we wanted them to work. And people really didn't think about the fact that, you know, my company's website address is delvrisk.com, that they might have delvrisk.conn and, you know, embed that into a link. And it kind of looks like a .com, depending on the font, maybe. And so a lot of these companies might not or are not monitoring domains and things that look similar to them. And so when they realize that there's some you know, intrusion or, or threat to their brand, that that's where they have to go back to the entire long A process to initiate a takedown and do those things. But by that point, you've got 42,000 and you can do those registrations at scale automated. And so, Brian, as a CRO, can you take us through the financial impact of imposter domain phishing attacks? Yes. 2021 was known as the second worst year on record for ransomware attacks. And 2022 is still being compiled, but it's already surpassing 2021. And the impact financially globally is around $21 billion. It's projected to be closer to $3 trillion over the next two years. So all of these types of things are ways to deliver malware, trigger ransomware attacks. And not only that, when you have impostering you know, brand, you're weakening the trust in that brand. And so there's that harm to the brand itself that has you know, spent years and millions of dollars building up goodwill, and that can start to weaken with this as well. So it's sort of a double-edged impact there. 
And Anthony, what are your recommendations, especially from a CISO perspective, to enterprises and their employees alike regarding phishing attacks with imposter domains? I think this is an, a really important piece is that you can't do it. And what I mean by that is that no enterprise or organization is going to have enough eyeballs and enough people and internal capabilities to monitor, track, and look at all of the possible permutations and variations of their site and all the links and things that their marketing team, sales team, et cetera, are selling or sending out. You have to have partners in the ecosystem that are connected to you know, threat intelligence, data feeds, organizations that can actually do this in an automated fashion at scale that will go up and look up the trust rating, you know, figure out, hey, is this something that we're seeing similar of across other brands and domains, or is this truly unique? Because you know, if an organization says, yep, we've got that under control, we've got three people that they do this you know, full time and they don't really have the right tools, it's a recipe for disaster. And Anthony, any additional final advice that you would like to share with our audience about this topic or anything else? The most important piece here is that people listening should actively be chatting with vendors and product organizations to understand how this is evolving. If your teams are telling you that they've got it fully under control, you should really take that with a grain of salt and suspicion a little bit because this continues to shift simply because the scalability is now we're looking at magnitudes and orders of difference in reach. And while it might have been fine to have, going back to Roman times, somebody walks in, you kind of inspect their uniform and make sure they check out on the list. You can't do that anymore in the digital age that we live in. So you have to have the right partners, products, services that can enable and augment your team using technology. And how about you, Brian? Any final thoughts you'd like to leave with our audience as we wrap up our conversation? Yeah, security is a layered approach. And it wasn't like there was no security over the last two years when we had, you know, sort of the large volume of ransomware attacks. The companies that were hit by those were also investing in security tools and technologies and people and processes to prevent them, but yet they still proliferated. And the threat landscape is ever evolving and we need to, as sort of defenders of that. You need to continue to adapt and evolve and just looking to see what are the patterns and trends. And this certainly is one where, you know, imposter domains or leveraging social media as part of the delivery mechanism is one that is a current trend right now. Excellent. Well, Brian, Anthony, thank you both so much for taking the time to join us today. It was a pleasure speaking with you both. Thank you very much. Thank you. In Plain Sight is a Cybercrime Magazine podcast series sponsored by Conceal, the creator of Conceal Browse, a lightweight browser extension that converts any web browser into a secure, zero-trust browser, providing protection against ransomware and credential theft attacks that bypass other security controls. To learn more about our sponsor, visit conceal.io.